Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. And in this episode, we are going to do something a bit different. The season we've started to have a companion podcast to the OME Gazette column, Coding the Classroom with Ian Brody and Beza Caesar. And in the latest March edition of the Gazette, Ian and Beza have abandoned their coding in the classroom roots to interview longtime OME contributors, Mary Lou Castell and Kathy Kubota Zervini. And this comes as some of the special 50th anniversary content that you're going to start to see this year from OME. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Beza, today we are really, really lucky to interview like two amazing math educators from Ontario and honestly, Canada worldwide. We've got Mary Lou Castell and Kathy Kubota Zarivni, who are like rock stars within the within the mathematical education space. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. I know. I'm really, really excited. So like they both of them have contributed to my teaching in so many ways. I could not imagine not knowing how to do a band show. And Kathy's the one who brought that <laughs> to Ontario and taught us how to do it. And then I went like crazy with it. And, like Mary Lou has been like uh, in like all the amazing spots. Like she's been in the ministry. She's been like the editor of the Abacus and like so many more things that I can't even start to, to, to tell the, the, the accomplishments of Mary Lou and, and Kathy here. So what I would like you to do is uh, Mary Lou, if, if you could uh, go first and introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello. I'm Mary Lou Castell, and I've been involved with OME since my first year of teaching, uh, I'll say 1973, and um, re- most recently uh, an abacus editor, spent time as president and uh, all the years that come before and after that. And along the way, I met a great educator, Kathy Kubota Zerivni. I'm Kathy Kubota-Zerivny, and uh, I first met Mary Lou uh, when she was working on the executive at OME um, Provincial, and actually it was Peter Saramaki who encouraged a lot of elementary teachers to come forth, because most of OME was secondary people. So uh, Peter uh, hooked me up with Mary Lou, and then from then on, our adventure um, began um, we worked so closely for over over two decades that um, during that time, Mary Lou's husband would say that her and I should get a room because as soon as we finished working <laughs> together, I would call her or she would call me and we would talk all night about math. And then as we're coming to work, oh, are you on your way? And I'd say, yeah. She goes, oh, good. Okay, let's talk about this. So other than sleeping, Mary Lou and I were inseparable for, for many, many, many years. And it was due to our our love and our hard work in mathematics education. Yes. So this is, uh, so th- this is part of the 50th anniversary edition that we're going to be putting out of the OME Gazette. Uh, so like, we'd like to like dig in a little bit at first about what your, what you did with the Abacus, because you are the longest serving co-editors of the Abacus. Uh, there's no one who comes close. So I'd like to know, like when you first started the Abacus, what were the things you wanted to accomplish? Well, let me start first. Um, there were three things that always impact my thinking of, of curriculum and communication to teachers. One is design. 
because I am the worst reader in the world. And if I can't read it in a logical, systematic and efficient way, I just won't pick it up. Uh, the second thing is, is it usable in the classroom? Will a teach, can a teacher pick it up and, and try the idea, try the lesson plan? And then last but not least, with the work of Deborah Ball and others who followed, um, we were very um, committed to producing materials that develop teachers' content, pedagogical content knowledge. Um, and so those three things were the key ideas that, that really prompted me to decide to um, uh, apply as the advocate editor, co-editor. Yes, we really wanted something that teachers could use in the classroom. And um, there was also a big movement for teachers to be working together with um, special education teachers and librarians and administrators on um, learning mathematics for teaching. And uh, so there was a big push on professional learning communities. And over the years at many OME meetings, people have said that uh, math leaders have said that they found our format of the abacus to be very useful in the study that um, they were carrying on with their teachers. Yeah. So one thing that I, I, I learned through grad school was that there's efficacious and then there's effective. So efficacious will work with students who are already in a good learning environment, but effective is ones that will work with everybody. So did you look at those kind of differences so that like your, so that like the additions would be good for everybody? And how did you go about that? Um, one way was that we tried to show student work and we tried to show student work in a variety of ways because, I mean, even for me, 25 years ago, it was a big surprise that if I didn't tell them how to do it first, they'd be able to solve a math problem. So <laughs> the whole idea that people had different solutions was, was new and, and, and so important that teachers find a way to talk about Talk with, have students talk about their mathematical thinking by making relations, seeing relationships between and among the different math representations that the students make. So one, one of the things that's what we tried to do in the students' examples that were there. The other, well, the other thing that comes to mind when you say that is something about our working at the Literacy Numeracy Secretariat. And um, that was, uh, Michael Fullen was a, an advisor to... Um, Dalton McGinty at the time. And um, we'd just come through a whole pile of train the trainer stuff. And although the material was very good, it, it wasn't getting into the classrooms. And so Michael Fullen said, the effectiveness of professional learning is inversely proportional to its distance from the classroom door. Oh, that's, so <laughs> that's, that's really good. That I, I can actually see that mathematical function right now. Yeah. So that that's why, and, and Kathy was leading us in all this research about lesson study and, and board writing. But I mean, our first lesson study invite was just as soon as we started in the year 2004, 2005. And um, Martha Dutrasak was a superintendent in Huron Perth Catholic District School Board. And she and I worked at the Dairy Queen in Guelph when we were 16 years old. So she phoned up and said, Mary Lou, I want you to come and do lesson study with my grade five, six combined grade students. Well, 
you know, there were lots of education officers, but Kathy and I were the only two mathematics ones in the mm-hmm. numeracy part of the secretariat. <laughs> anyway, so we got to go to Huron-Perth, which is um, west of Stratford. But first of all, we said, no, 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 we can't do combined grades. We've never done this before. We have to do just a single grade. So the, court, the math consultant came back and said, nope. He said, I'll talk to my teachers. But he came back and said, nope, you have to do combined grades because we're all small schools out here. That's all we teach. So we were brave. We went in. And Kathy, you should tell the story of our first visit. Where well, you said, it was lesson study, the research. But what we did was not lesson study because that's such a cultural um, a cultural experience from Japan that we really believe that you had to have been part of a lesson study group, an authentic one. So we ended up calling it Collaborative Inquiry for Learning Mathematics for Teaching. CIL was the short form name. But anyways, when we tried this idea with people we did not know, with kids we did not know, in a large gym that was just <laughs> terrible in terms of acoustics, um, we set up a, 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 the desks. And we had uh, portable um, chalkboards or dry erase boards at the front. And we had teachers around the students. So we look like we're doing lesson study, but we're not. Because first of all, the culture of lesson study is about not worrying about what the teacher feels and any kind of kind of a self, um, I guess, worry about whether or not they're doing a good job, but it's to study student thinking. But it's also to look at the teacher's instructional practices, and especially in terms of the choices that are made in response to student responses, their written work, what they say, what they don't do, what they do do. And so, you know, I, I decided to be the brave one because Mary Lou says to me, well, you're elementary, I'm not. Okay, so it's mine. Okay. <laughs> that was a rationale. And uh I start working on the uh, the opening lesson, the, the before, and then um, the students are participating, you know, well, and then we work on the during or the lesson problem to solve it. And the teachers were under the understanding that students should know how to do it, not understanding, because we just started working together, that what the students produce is what we will use to develop the learning, but it is not the learning. So I literally, Mary Lou and I are conversing and I look around thinking, gee, it's so noisy. Every teacher that was standing so nicely away from the students was now paired up with a student, holding the pencil for the kids and basically <laughs> writing down what the kids said. <laughs> that was the end of that, 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 that public research lesson because uh, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know how to start it. That was really scary. <laughs> because I had no idea what to do because all the students had learned different things from different teachers. And so that was the end of it. So that was the first thing that any kind of public research lesson requires a cultural shift of participation and responsibility and that students can learn through discussion, through analysis of solutions they created, but the teacher needs to have the pedagogical content knowledge to decide which student who should share first, second, third, not whoever puts their hand up first or who hasn't answered for a while. Also to sequence the solutions. So mathematically, the teachers, the students can see the mathematical content trajectory from beginning towards the learning goal. Yes. And uh, that's hard. 
That's hard for teachers. That's it, hard it, for anybody. It, it is. Yeah. Our, eventually, CILM got got sponsored by the ministry, and we went to every provincial region. So there are six of them. So like Northeast, Northwest, uh, and so on. And um, we were funded to have to work with two schools, a Catholic school and a, and, a, and a public school in the same neighborhoods. And we had teachers and principals and administrators and so on, all working with us to learn about mathematics for teaching and plan a lesson and observe the lesson being carried out and draw conclusions. So that was, um, well, it was a great experience. But the other thing that we did always was we always had everybody share their learning or their concerns or their at the end. And even the, in the situation that Kathy told about earlier, some of those teachers said, I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it, but he took the pencil out of his hand and started writing down the, I knew I wasn't supposed to be talking and I couldn't stop. So that was like a major piece of learning in itself yes. for those teachers. Yes. And, so, and then other teachers would say, well, it's okay for you because you know the mathematics. And I'd say, well, you know the children. And they said, I've been teaching for 26 years and I didn't think, I didn't know they were so smart. So I said, you know, if a kid comes in, like in terms of the issue of, you know, the students and you know, the math you want to teach, if a child comes in and says, this is my Japanese way of solving, of doing division or yes. solving this division problem. And I said, and if it makes sense, it's probably valid. You may not have an algorithm. Maybe you develop an algorithm. But that's the emerging of the mathematics from their lives. And that's what we want to capture. Absolutely. And that's, that's yeah. like at the heart of what we, what we're now trying to, to instill in our new uh, teachers, which is culturally relevant and responsive right. pedagogy, like take what they know and build on it. Yeah. I used to think of the image of the teacher trying to tell all 30 of them what, what, how to do this thing rather than all 30 of them telling me what they understand about it and me weaving a picture that Ex is, defines the mathematics formally. Exactly. The vocabulary and like I can yeah. teach that part. Yeah. With, with but, my, my work that I've been doing with, uh, especially with primary students, uh, um, I, I once told my uh, grad advisor that said, I don't think there's anything that a grade two cannot learn with a low enough floor and a high ceiling. Yep. Yeah. Cause they, they, they get things way easier than we give them credit for. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's only because I hadn't taught grade ones at that point. And then grade ones are pretty freaking awesome too. Well, I think kids come to school with an informal knowledge of mathematics because they live in the same world as we live in. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do, that's the thing about the posing problems. So you pose a problem that they've all engaged in and solved in their own way. And so now you're making sense of, of what that learning is and you're formalizing it. But the thinking, logical mathematical thinking happens in the head. So we have to get it from their head out onto the paper. So there's the, or the concrete materials, and then maybe onto the paper. 
and then to teach them how to talk about it and write about it and yes use it <laughs> to solve problems yes so it's really the so opposite from when i started teaching oh absolutely yeah it's it yeah when i first started teaching it was like okay here it is do your exercises and then we're done yeah you get it don't you yeah oh do these 25 <laughs> yeah do these 25 more and you'll get it yes yeah so it's it's like yeah once you've got it like do like 25 more because that's really fun and it Kathy, isn't didn't we talk about all the researchers that we followed well um i want to refer back to one idea about our collaborative inquiry for learning mathematics um yes. it to be honest it never could be replicated by anyone uh because it was it's a, quite a complex model in the sense that you're bringing together two uh school boards representatives one from the catholic and one from the public and in each group, let's say Toronto, Toronto Tra Catholic was one group. You have, you have one superintendent, you have five principals, and you have um, all the teachers, say, from the grade three class or the grade six class. That's a lot of people. And also uh, the director of education were invited, um, as well as the, the coordinators of mathematics. So that's a lot of people. And so to watch a lesson that you have no cultural background experience in and to be still and to be mindful and to be analytic is extremely difficult and especially if you want to have a post-discussion after the research lesson you have to make sure everyone's ready so this began as a two full day experience so imagine superintendents coming out for two full days to work with their principals and teachers imagine that that was a commitment that was unwavering you could not be part of this research project unless you participate this way. Imagine also that through the day one of two days, uh, Mary Lou and I would be like the, the educators um, developing lesson plans through their analysis, their understanding and developing understanding of math content using the three-part problem solving lesson. And I really mean the Japanese structured problem solving framework, mm -hmm. not the uh, ministry one, yes. because again, We've got the researchers, Tad Watanabe, Akihiko Takahashi, and Makoto Yoshida, the three internationally leading Japanese uh, researchers in lesson study, and they still are today. Yes. And absolutely. so imagine that the teachers would not teach the lesson first. It would be a co-teaching uh, public research lesson with the teacher and the superintendent. Can you imagine that? A superintendent who's never taught mathematics in elementary, never mind taught <laughs> mathematics, has prepared themselves. And then next would be the principals. Why? Because they would show the bravery, the courage to try this with children, knowing though that everyone who was watching the lesson would be supportive. So this is another difference from lesson study. We actually had what we would call um, the co-teaching team, as well as we would have insider and outsider communicators who would basically listen to the comments that the observers were making as they watched the lesson. They'd have mathematical ideas. They'd have question ideas. They'd have want certain things to be clarified. And then these two insider and outsider, usually it was Mary Lou and I who would do it at the beginning and tell the others learn to do it, would basically feed that information to the co-teaching team. So changes were made real time. Everyone had a commitment to make the lesson the best for the children. 
And so imagine that research, all that data going to the three people, the co-teaching team, all the time throughout the lesson when it was appropriate. That was something that was absolutely remarkable. So much different than Japanese lesson study because Japanese lesson study, the teacher planned the lesson and you just watch, you have a post-discussion, but you had no influence on the lesson. And that's what we found was different with the, um, the Ontario educators is that they cannot focus their analysis when all they have in their head is, oh, I wouldn't do that. Oh, they should do that. Oh, what's this? What's this? They have so much chatter in their head. We decided to be productive with that chatter and mm-hmm. use it to inform it. Let me yeah. tell you, at the end, we'd have three lessons going on simultaneously on the same lesson and the same grade. And then from that, we would have our post-discussion <laughs> of the range of student work samples and to see why that was arranged and what was happening to be. We actually created learning trajectories that were not published. We actually found details between oh. this particular thing and this that were not published. And it was exciting, okay. very so, exciting. Like- can we get access to those non-published oh, well, things? You know what? Um, we have them and we have, you know, we were doing so many, like we go once a month to six different regions every month. So Mary Lou and I were on the road, either driving or on the plane constantly. And we were doing web. And uh, every us. night. It was after, like crazy. And after every, ex- every night, we kept records of what had happened yeah. that day so that yeah. they could have records of their learning. Yeah. So that stuff I have, I have all that in archives. It was a huge amount. And like everything, right? You intend to write an article. Yeah, like who had time? Because we're going from one to the other. We'd be at the airport at 4.30 in the morning and come home at 11.30 at night. And next day we're in the office. So even though that, you know, what was me story, it was the most honorable, most invigorating experience I've ever had in terms of professional learning and teacher education. Yeah. to see principals and teachers and they had to co-teach at their schools in between. Yes. So the superintendent so. had to co-teach with the co-teaching team. The principals had to co-teach with each teacher in between during that month. Imagine eh? So yeah. I gotta so, tell you, yeah. I gotta tell you, these are all schools that were low achieving, low, <laughs> low achieving. And I can tell you, except for no, every one of them in- improved. And I would say generally above, 70, 75, and the lowest schools were at 80, 85% EQA in one yes. year. They were shocked. We were shocked. Because teachers were listening to children. Yeah. They were untrying, they were learning to understand what the kids were saying and make sense of it. Yeah. And they were learning how to communicate with mathematical precision yes. what the kids were doing. Oh, so, he was doing this. No, they would name the concept. They would name the approach. They would identify I, the model of representation. It was amazing. Yeah. This is a little bit after the abacus because I was a provincial math facilitator. And I was working in York region with a specific project on mathematics. It's hard to say this because you don't know what the punctuation, but we were working with students with learning disabilities, but we were working in math classes. So they didn't have learning disabilities just in math, of course, because that's not how disabilities work. But the ones that had disabilities, we chose to work with specifically and to do lesson study or to do study the mathematics for teaching and all the rest of the structures. Connie Quadrini was leading that project. Mm -hmm. So, So when we gave when we went into classrooms 
teachers specifically um, observed the students who had uh, IPRCs and recorded what they could hear, what they saw students doing, what they could hear students saying, and what yeah what they were doing with their hands. And the students were working in groups of two or three. After that, at the end of that project, we interviewed the children, and we said, "What was the best part of?" this working in this kind of way and they said having a partner so I could talk about the mathematics having concrete materials so I could see what I was thinking and then learning to name the mathematics so that I could use it another time and talk about it okay. so those are all parts of yeah. the plan yeah Beza yeah I think we uh already got about your great accomplishment through the, uh, your editorial time and your challenging. I also wonder what you really want to do, but you couldn't make it during this editorial time. Is there anything you really want to make it, but it somehow couldn't realize? Well, from my point of view, we did exactly what we set out to do. And by the way, I'd like to uh, make an addendum. It wasn't 10 years, it was 13 uh, wonderful years. And I got to tell you, it was an honor, it was a privilege um, to contribute to the math community. And that's why we did it, to contribute to the math community. So we were able to do anything and everything that we wanted to do. When we had new ideas, we would put it out there and we'd get feedback. It was a, a wonderful, um, I guess, a very fluid experience. And I noted, Mary Lou, that we didn't start it until after we were at the Literacy Movement Secretariat. So you were very correct that it was the secretariat that gave us the, the interest to be widespread. Yes. Well, I yeah. think we were still there then. I think it was 2007 we started. Yeah, it is 2007. Yeah. So 2020. Like, besides being on the road all the time doing literacy numeracy stuff, we were doing abacus stuff. So yeah. and we should mention Pat Marjoram started with us too when yeah. she did the literature section, because she has the widest library of children's math books of anybody on the planet, I'm sure. Oh, she so was talking about the researchers. So from my mm. point of view, Brent Davis and complexity theory, yes. math education, that was huge. It was yes. to understand how we would have so many different working groups or CILs, um, and how whatever we learned from one particular group, it would be shared with the next CIL we was going to. And Brent, we had him come to the ministry and, and discuss this many times with ministry education um, people, as well as um, provincial conferences. The other, it was uh, Akihiko. And we actually have a, a webcast with him that was edited again. And Akihiko Takahashi and his understanding of geometry and structured problem solving, Japanese structured problem solving was really important. And then I say the third person that really informed us was Deborah Ball. She was our very first webcast. And I believe it is still the most watched webcast that the Literacy Numeracy Secretary has ever produced. She is such a, um, a professional mathematician, math educator. We literally did a take of two hours. We flew down to Ann Arbor. And then by midnight, that webcast was up. The editing was so little. Now, since then, I don't think any webcast has taken that short time. But from that, uh, we, we um, participated in her mathematics study. We would drive down to Ann Arbor. 
Um, we communicated with her. I want to say from my point of view, those three math educators were instrumental to our thinking. Mary Lou, what about you? I also remember that uh, when we very first started, we invited, now I'm going to forget their names, the guys who wrote about the Tim's research. They, they did research in, in American, in German, the, and Japanese schools, videotaped, and they transcribed it all. And they looked at the mathematics. And then when they that came was, yeah. to... That was, was a Tim's study. They never came. Makoto Yoshida was the grade eight teacher in that Tim study. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I think, you know, because what he was really sharing was that the whole, that challenge was what kept kids engaged in mathematics. He said, of all the studies, the countries that do best are the countries that let children struggle instead of saying, oh, let me help you with that or let me tell you how to do it, but rather to figure it out themselves. That's a really, really big change in how we teach mathematics in, yeah. in the classroom in, in Ontario. And yeah. it's, yeah, so like, I, that's, that's one of my favorite things to do is that is when the, 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 the student would come up to me and say like, what do you think about this? And I said, I don't know. What do you think? They go, I think maybe. And I said, well, go with that. Yeah. Have at it. Follow your intuition. Yes. Probably right. So, yes. So intuition, creativity, and, and so many other things are so available in mathematics, but we don't let the children do that. We don't let them have their intuition. We don't let them have their creativity. Mary, least, the names were James Stigler and yes. James Hubert. Yes. yes, totally. So it was James, oh, yeah. yeah, I said yeah. Stephen, but it was James Stigler. Who Stigler, yeah. 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 Talk and, about long-standing research it's still applicable now yes completely. Well, exactly. 1998 what? publication that's amazing yeah. when when they described the mathematics in the three countries he says well in japan i see the teacher i see the student and i see the mathematics and i see the teacher activating the interaction between the student and the mathematics and then and the and the and between the students he said, in the German classroom, I see the teacher and the students and the math, and I see the math coming to the students through the teacher. In the USA, I see the teacher and the students, but I don't see the mathematics. Exactly. So, so that the, the, the Japanese example that I, that, that was in that Tim's, that, that Tim, those Tim's videos, I used with my grade seven, eight students. And I said, is there are, or sorry, are there two triangles that have different perimeters, but the same area? And so they had to use the, like some of like, so I showed them the video and they were able to, all of them were able to solve it by using like a rectangle and dividing it into, into like, into triangles. Yeah. And it was, it was like beautiful. Even my students who were supposedly on IEPs uh, were coming up and going like, well, yeah, this is logical. Look at this. And it's just a beautiful thing that, you know, when you, when you let your students have that freedom to explore, have that and, and have their backs when you, when, you know, to support, support. them. Without support, without providing requ required resources. Hmm. I think it's not just 
simple guidance that is meaningless. So support and resources, this abacus, what you're doing is mm -hmm. so great at that point, I think. So what's the most challenging things on the way? I, I really wonder how teachers adapt this. I think students adapt easier than educators. And you also connect with researchers and there are huge things you are doing on the way. So what's, what is the most challenging things? Teaching, teaching teachers mathematics. I guess so. <laughs> it, it is really hard because, again, our culture, my culture thinks it's okay to hate mathematics. They don't see the beauty and the excitement and the love of it. And um, it's, 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 it's something that's, what do you say, hung over our heads for decades, centuries maybe. I mean, I, I am encouraged by the stuff in the grade nine curriculum and, and maybe even the K to eight stuff about culturally responsive and, and relevant pedagogy. But I think that would, I don't know, teachers know how to do it. And, and the, I say that, I, I remember a time when they were given us all kinds of workshops on cooperative learning. And I thought cooperative learning, how has this got anything to do with mathematics? And then when I realized what it could do in my classroom. I started, I, I was actually teaching in a science lab and I kept visioning the trap door opening and me falling through the floor so that I was just not in front of the classroom. And there was a lot of learning going on, but it was very hard for me to learn how to do that because we teach as we were taught, just as we parent as we were parented. But if we would only believe in kids and believe in trust other people too to to know that we are all in this together i think we um do a better job again teachers are afraid to not know if a kid comes up with an interesting response those but, are the but those are the best questions yes like those are the really really best questions so and, and the answer to that is i don't know but yes. let's figure out how we can figure it out and of course deborah ball would say i don't know yet and we know well, yes, lots, exactly. And I, yes. And I know lots of teachers are using that. So it's yes. a gimmick, but if it works, go for it. Yeah. We don't know now, but let's, let's see if we can figure it out. We may need to do this together. You go, you know, you can go do some look, I can go do some look. And uh, so I actually did have a student who was looking at rotations around the origin of shapes. He said, I can describe to you what's happening but I know there's actual mathematical functions that will do it. This is a grade seven student, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and just a regular student. We're not talking a gifted student. We're just talking a regular student. And so like he said, I know there's mathematics in here, but I don't know what it is. And I went, I don't know what it is either. So I went to or Dr. O, who's my, my, my touchstone for all things mathematical. I said, so what's happening? And he showed me how to do the rotation matrices. I went, well, that's really easy. That's, that's <laughs> actually pretty darn simple. All we have to do is that. So the next year I taught all of my grade eight students how to do rotation matrices and all these other things. And they were going like, wow, this is really cool. This makes sense. And so like, that's, you know, you know, absolutely. That, yeah. So like we completely and utterly underestimate what children are able to learn. They're, they're, uh, they're, they are 
more able to think, reason, and think critically about issues than we think they are. Once I did a presentation called um, Kill Drill. Kill Bill had just come out. So I did Kill Bill, <laughs> an, intro, an introduction to slow math. Because <laughs> slow food was, was big then too. <laughs> no problem. I'm going to leave that in there just because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> but um, now I forgot what I was going to tell you. <laughs> Kill Drill. Yeah. So kill Bill. Yeah, I know. I kill and slow math. And um, oh, I know. And my first slide was: I think mathematicians should become anthropologists of children's mathematical thinking. And when I looked up about anthropology, it said that we should never ever assume that anybody who's come onto the earth since, like, since we grew up, has anything thinks anything similar to us. They all are unique and they all have their own perspective and it's very different from ours. Mm, that, that should be an axiom of teaching. Yeah. But my husband used to say kids of the same age around the world have more in common with each other than kids in the same family or than they do with adults in the same family. Yeah. I, I'm going to disagree with you, Mary Lou. I don't think they have unique perspectives because they're all culturally shaped especially in the math classroom and they're culturally shaped by the teacher and the materials and the 45, 60 minute time period. So we are trying to encourage and develop individual or different thinking or diverse thinking. But we're going to say that most of them will land the same place without the teacher orchestrating ways for them to develop more than one solution. Hence why we do that. Right. Right. Yeah, and I get my, Michael's comment was more in terms of daily living than mathematical thinking and learning, but for yeah. sure, it's so rebellious to culture. I remember that the James Stiegler's book, they talked about people, researchers who took a table into an African village where, not, where the people had been eating on the floor, but they wanted to, to give these people a table to use. And they came back six months later and the table was upside down on the floor, on the ground, because that was what their culture was. Yes. So Peter, Peter Lilliedal went out one year and he interviewed four-year-olds, three, three and four-year-olds coming into JK on their first day of class. And he asked them, what do you think math class looks like? And so many of them thought that it was like, you know, you have your rows, you have your columns of, of desks and that you, you do drills. And that, that's their conception at three and four years old. So how do we get the teachers of Ontario and our new teachers, which, who I'm invested in at Ontario Tech, to, to, to go past that, to, to break that cultural bias? I'm going to say to you, I'm, I'm in a unique position right now because my daughter is now in the Faculty of Education at York U. And so she tells me about her math learning and the thinking. And it's very difficult. Like she's a very smart girl, but she finds the concepts, the understanding, all the details way too much. She's trying to right now in her first year understand school culture, school processes, uh, teaching culture, and, and the nature of the, the position and the requirements. The math content is is so difficult 
that what they do is when they're doing lesson playing, it's, it's beyond them. What you see is not very high quality because they don't understand still the whole flow yet. They, so they I, don't I'm know really, what they don't know. No, exactly. And even if you have them learn it, it's too early because they're preoccupied with so many other things. So I'm really glad that there's a two-year a two-year program. I hope in the second year she has another math pr- class, but I don't think she does, does she? Unless it's a, a specialty, right? They only get it once. I, I'm not too familiar with York. I used to teach their, um, I used to do their practicum supervising. Yeah. yeah. But so, it's interesting for her to well, say that. Yeah. So I know in some, with me. yeah. So I know in some faculties, uh, there's like a really big focus on math coding and other things. And that's one, th- one of the things that we do at Ontario Tech is we actually do have a course that's just math for teachers. It's not connected to pedagogy. It's here's how we do math. And we teach them how to do math. And is that in first and second year? Yes, it's, in, it's actually in their second semester of the first year. Everybody, IS, as well as PJ, get it. And the IS kids are the funniest because like they're the like the English history people going like I don't I'm not going to be teaching math I said depends if you go to a grade seven eight but look how fun math is and then we teach them the way we would want to be taught yeah Yeah. so sorry that was a shameless plug for Ontario Tech University one of the best (laughs) places to learn math and coding in the (laughs) province I may or may not leave that in (laughs) Over these all huge years, you uh, you've been editor, and this math education changed a lot. There are many things happen. So, what was the favorite part of you, and how how have you seen this uh, improvement? What is the best part of this uh, process? This change, and what is the maybe worst? What you want to say maybe briefly about this whole flowing over the years? Well, I'll say I went to the OME conference. It was virtual last year and heard many sessions and found that all kinds of people in all kinds of boards are using CILM still. And they are continuing to work with teachers to learn mathematics for teaching. I I think once teachers start hearing children's voices, it's hard to stop. And so I think that it got its momentum because... Yeah, because they started listening to children. So I hope that it goes on. And certainly, I would suggest the curriculum documents suggest it ought to go on. So, um, so I'm kind of hopeful. Great to hear that. Kathy, what do you say? I am hopeful. Actually, I'm not. Let me just change this. You'll edit all this out. I expected at this point for teacher teachers and teacher leaders and educators to be able to have developed mathematic content for teaching in a way that all our new teachers and I'd say teachers in the first 10 years would be able to understand and use in developing lessons, lessons in terms of Japanese structured lesson structure before, during, after co-construction and highlight summary and and um, practice. I still see a huge, continued huge reliance on textbooks, on programs someone else made. So that tells me that we still have quite a way to go to develop this. The difficulty is, is that 
what I would call our math education elders, like myself and Mary Lou and others. You know, we're, we're doing other things. We're not in that, that scene anymore. Hence one of the reasons why I'm still um, in the school system as a principal, not as someone higher up, because I want to be on the ground to develop it. So when I look at the sequence of new programs, it's the same old. And therefore, we know through the research of Peg Smith at University of Pittsburgh and others um, that people will use new materials in the way that they're accustomed, the same old way. So no matter what materials you give them or provide, they'll be used in the same way. So I, I do believe that everyone has the interest to learn but I think it's going to be a, a slow period for a while until we're out of COVID, uh, we're out of work to rule and school boards, and that there can be collaboration set up again between school boards and ministry and faculty of education. But their results must be widely shown and presented in a way that's accessible. Yes, then, absolutely. Yes. Then we're going to have some, some, growth. But again, I'm going to say, Mary Lou, it's not going to be in our lifetime. The changes I hope yeah. for didn't happen. It won't be. I, I do hope that we're Nor able mine. to enter young teachers into leadership and mathematics and engage them in OAME and other particular areas where there will be that that idea of working groups, yes. learning groups. So, so learning all, groups, all, yeah. all student teachers within the province of Ontario need to know that they actually have access to all the OEME resources. Uh, they can ask their faculty. They have uh, the OEME actually gives them access to all the past editions of both the Abacus and the Gazette, all the resources that have been, that are on that website and they can have it for free. And when so we put this challenge. when we put this po podcast in, I'll make sure that that link is in the description. Good. Perfect. Also, a, a challenge to the OME executive: put together across the province teacher math educators who will volunteer to host and convene math learning groups across the province, mm -hmm. and and have that on a platform that their work is recorded. That's going to make a change. That yes. will make a change because at the school board level, it is quite impossible. I've been at the level three times now as coordinator and other ways, and it's impossible. There's too many things going on that prevent the flow discussion. So if they incorporate um, their continued collaboration with the teacher unions and OME and then having teacher groups at different boards, we're going to see something beautiful and it will represent the work of complexity science and education that Brent Davis has researched about since oh, 2000, the year 2000. So you know that Mary Lou and I would volunteer. We just don't want to write anymore, <laughs> but we yeah. would be honored to be part of that group. Right, Mary Lou? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, writing Seriously. is so difficult. <laughs> we would be honored to, to, to be a Toronto group that would start that. So just need the... Uh, the group to get together to create this and uh, we're on board because even though we're math elders, we're still involved in many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a thought of how we could probably finish this up, but I can't remember what it was because you've like totally stole, stolen my thinking, Kathy. I dazzled <laughs> like, you, eh? Yes, you did. Well, 
you always dazzle me. Like I've never been <laughs> not dazzled by you, Kathy, whenever I've seen you speak or whatever. You're yeah. so kind. <laughs> no, I'm being <laughs> truthful. Like, like, okay, so this is the fanboy part. I'm gonna totally take out, maybe, possibly, <laughs> but 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 you 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 both deserve to have like fans because you've done both done so much for us as teachers and for ultimately ultimately the students in the province because they're the ones who really really matter. Yes, we need to to, to convince the teachers that they can do this that they should do this and that they need to invest their time in this. But the real goal is for our students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I, absolutely. yeah, I, I remember uh, um, I was listening to a Ted talk uh, and it was the first woman to be the head of an engineering faculty in the United States. And she said, and this is, this is, this was a devastating thing. She said, if the cure for cancer was in the, head of a 12 year old girl right now we won't get that cure because we discourage our students so much Ooh. wow yeah that's very sad it is and so but that's also a call to action for all of us absolutely yeah absolutely so thank you so much mary lou and kathy for for this this conversation uh it I, I feel lifted up by both of you as I always am. And, and I'm so glad to have been able to like, been able to like contact, like to have this contact and to, to, to shine a light on what you've both done for the students and teachers in Ontario. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. Thank you, so, thank you much. so much. Yes. For the invitation. And it's so wonderful that OME is taking on new ways of communicating with the members and teachers. That's that's very cool. That was Ian Brody and Beza Cesar interviewing Mary Lou Castell and Kathy Kubota Zervini. OME members can check out that content and all the other 50th anniversary content in the latest edition of the Gazette. And we still have a couple more episodes coming up from OME Talks as well. We've got some more content from the OME 2022 featured and keynote speakers and we'll also hear once again from all our guests from this season. So stay tuned for those, and in the meantime, stay safe.